Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast about all things about therapists, the things that we do, the ways that we practice, and the things that affect us. And in case you haven't been around, coronavirus has affected us a lot. Like... <laughs> There's just this pandemic thing that's really impacted us. Uh, so a lot of us are wading back into practices of seeing people in person. And we had an episode earlier this year about returning to the office. A lot of positive movement has happened as far as vaccinations, case rates going down, that kind of stuff here in America. The CDC guidelines have updated accordingly. And depending on where you're located, your state's guidelines and even down to county guidelines may be very different depending on where you are. Well, this is an episode about re-entry back into practice. We covered a lot of material back in our going back into the office episode before. Or so, our shot at vaccines, I think is another one. Sure. <laughs> uh, so we'll link to those in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com if you want to go back and listen to those. But we wanted to talk about you know, just kind of some of the options of ways that therapists can consider transforming their practices with a lot of the lessons that we've learned here during the pandemic, that being in kind of this new stage where we can make some decisions about the ways that we go forward, some of the flexible options that we have that don't confine us just into the old ways of needing people just to show up to our office. So I know you've started some of these things already, and you know this might be a, a place of where have you grown in the last you know couple of months around this kind of stuff, and what considerations are you looking at going forward? I think the biggest thing, and even just nodding back to these previous episodes, there's a lot of information that has been updated, and we'll link to an updated article as well from the APA that talks about how to attend in-person sessions and the rules there. But the first and foremost thing that I want to say is that each person, each clinician, and and each relationship with your client needs to be honored in the decisions that you make, whether it's in-person. I've been doing outdoor walk and talk therapy. There's also ongoing telehealth. I've got colleagues that are are doing kind of concierge therapy going to folks' backyards or, or homes. And I, I think there's a lot of creativity that's been happening. And 
disclaimer, Kurt and I are not attorneys. We don't even play them on TV. And so we're not going to talk about whether or not you should have masks in your office or, you know, whether or not you should meet in an office, that kind of stuff, because that stuff is so complex. I've personally decided to have some in-person in my office availability that'll expand a bit as vaccination continues. I am also doing walk and talk therapy in the park. And then I'm also doing a lot of virtual still. And that sometimes is flexibly kind of interchanging between the three. And so for me, what really was exciting is when I first became fully vaccinated as a frontline person and most of my clients were not vaccinated, I tiptoed into this outdoor walk and talk therapy because there were clients that I saw that were not actively making good use of telehealth. Whether or not they could do video things in their the rest of their life, it felt like they weren't able to get privacy. They were not able to get either good Wi-Fi connections or to really be able to engage with me over the over the screen, so to speak. I also had some clients where it felt like they felt very contained, staring very still at a screen, and I was feeling the same way. And so for me, the excitement really became, how do I meet these clients in a safe way? And what could that look like? And so I consulted with a colleague, and I'll I'll link to her information on the show notes, around what does walk and talk or outdoor therapy look like? How do we, how do we, put that together. <laughs> what, what does that mean? And I realized I'd done a lot of it in working in public mental health because so much of that is meeting a client where they are, or I would be in a school and I'd go out and play basketball with a client or that kind of stuff. And so, and not well, I'm not a good basketball player um, of note, but there's a lot of different things that folks I think get really concerned about with walk and talk. And we can go into that later, but what I uncovered is there were some clients who absolutely adored it, moving and kind of the rhythmic nature, sitting outside, having the the bird noises or the people playing at the park or that kind of stuff and having some of those things. And some that I think they're still trying to get used to it, especially walking with a mask on and, and what does that mean and, and whether or not they're going to be seen publicly and are they crying in public. So there's there's folks who really took to it, folks who are, I think, still deciding. But for me greatly improve my quality of life. I'm more active. I'm getting outside. I'm not just me sitting in the same chair for hours on end, very still interacting with the screen. And so long way around to, I think it, the conversation I want to have today is about the creative ways that we can clinically treat our clients, but also keeping in mind the ways that we either weren't taking care of ourselves or were taking care of ourselves during the pandemic when we were actually able to kind of start fresh with almost a blank slate on what our practice looked like. Dare you use blank slate in a positive way on this podcast? I know, I know. It's it's crazy. I have not yet stepped into the foray of doing things not virtually. And that's based on some individual and personal decisions that are affecting me in my life at the time of this recording, but it is on the horizon. And I am kind of dreading some of the logistical challenges that I'm going (laughs) to have to face. And part of this is I have two different physical office locations that are geographically very different in the Los Angeles area. And 
at no point over the last year or so of doing things virtually and taking on new clients, did I ever keep anything of, oh, you need to see me on this day because geographically one day you're probably going to see me in this one physical office. So everything is just kind of a smattering of people all over. Some of those people are not going to be candidates to return back to my office sometime soon because they're benefiting very much from online therapy, nor do I think that they want to sit through Los Angeles traffic when they (laughs) can see me from the ease of their home or wherever they are. But I think it is something where, because my practice has always kind of had a large focus on working with kids and teens, is I have been able to have some of these things before. You bring up basketball, much to my sweet mate's hatred of the basketball hoop that I had in my office before where we were crashing into the doorway playing (laughs) basketball and it's disrupting somebody else's session. These are things that especially a lot of child and adolescent therapists have had to use before as far as creative ways to get people engaged. And I think where part of this is really beneficial to a number of older clients or, or and people who might not have had the courage to practice in this way before is our clients are now a lot more attuned to things that they need to do. And hopefully this is where, as part of that therapeutic alliance building, especially with these new options open, we can lead those conversations with these clients to help them feel more of a say in their overall mental health treatment. Surprisingly enough, this has been a recommendation for a long time. This is one of the (laughs) major principles of things like recovery-oriented principles of care, of meeting clients where they're at and how they think that they're going to benefit from it. Yes. And I think there, like you mentioned, there are some real logistical issues that we have to keep in mind. Because I think when I look at specific clients and obviously no client information will be shared, but when I look at specific clients and what their treatment plan may look like, they may be virtual one week meeting at the, at the park for walk and talk another week and potentially meeting in my office a third week. And all of those things have logistical challenges Partly is where am I? Do I have an internet connection? Do, do I have a way to interact with them? And just physically getting to whatever location that I'm conducting therapy, I think it's something where there is a there has to be both a clinical collaboration on what's best. And I've had clients decide like I don't want to go to the park this week because I think I'm going to be crying the whole time, and. Also, I can't get to the park because my work has sent me over to another place and I can't do it. You know, those types of things. I think it's clinically there's a collaboration and then logistically there has to be a collaboration and a flexibility that I think with our back-to-back 50-minute sessions just isn't possible. And even until things really shift a lot, having back-to-back 50-minute sessions in your office probably isn't wise because then you've got people overlapping in the waiting room and stuff like that. And so then there's the, the, the exposure issues, which, you know, obviously those are things that people want to study and consider on their own. But I think to me, 
some of the freedom that was provided by the pandemic was that negotiation that started happening about when are we meeting, you know, your work schedule is completely different now that you're home or you're not working or you're, you've got a different job or your job changes every week. And being able to have some of that flexibility, I think has lended itself well to the conversations we're having around what's most beneficial to you clinically and and interpersonally, but also what can we actually do? Like what's practical to do? Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Creating kind of a short list and much like that APA article that Katie mentioned am really looking at a case-by-case basis of the reintroduction of people back to being seen in person. And, you know, there's just a, a bunch of considerations that we all have to make on this. Part of this is being able to help benefit clients in the way that's best for them. And for example, mm-hmm. you know, some of our clients were facing some especially some anxiety related stuff here of really being able to do exposure and response prevention type work has to clients have a lot less chance to escape doing those kinds of activities that they've been able to do online, even if they're working hard at it. I know I have a couple of people in my caseload where it's just easy to stay at a certain level of work, but being faced with the reality of now having to practice that stuff in in therapy sessions is part of the example, whether it's fear about, you know, the, you know, getting sick with coronavirus or a couple of people on my caseload who have other specific things related to their presentation that are added logistical things here. You know, I can imagine, you know, a lot more parents right now, on my caseload who are like, you know, traffic's really bad. Can we just do a video session today? That is hopefully going to continue to not have, you know, no shows, late cancellations and type that type of stuff that does provide more of these options here. But I like what you were saying in leading up to the show about the way that you're kind of already handling these kinds of scheduling issues. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the, the biggest piece is making sure that I am not so tightly scheduled that I don't have flexibility. And that's hard for me because I do have my practice, but I also have all the other things that we do with our stuff. And I also have my consulting business, which is almost 100% virtual. But for someone who 
can't make it to the park, for example, I may have to shift their time forward or back <laughs> in order to do a virtual session so I can be in my office to do the virtual session and then get back over to the park for another person. And so even shifting at 15 minutes one direction or another and clients being aware of that and having a consistent communication with them, whether it's text or messenger or, or some, whatever the, the, the ways that you're appropriately communicating with your clients, but that you can actually reach them in real time so that you can know where are you meeting? What is it? And, and also the, the criteria for completely rescheduling versus being able to just switch over to video. So I think for me, being completely transparent with my clients about, okay, well, yeah, we can move that, but I do have to get over to the park. So I need you to come earlier, you know, and I, I've got a hard stop. You know, we need to stop right at the 50 minute mark. <laughs> There's no, no doorknob confessions, you know, client. I cannot handle that because I need to get over to the park right now. It's actually created almost this kind of teamwork around how do we best work together to get what you need from your treatment in a way that's consistent because all of our lives are kind of a jumble of being at home, being virtual, getting out into the world in different ways, uh, especially as more and more folks are getting vaccinated or workplaces are deciding it's time, you got to come back. I think we all feel like it's, I feel like that we're all in it together and trying to get, you know, how do we best get you the therapy session that you need this week? And I, I have noticed, you know, in some of these conversations with my clients as we've started to talk about what working in person would be is there's also a lot more client acknowledgement of other clients of, you know, being aware of that these kinds of impacts are happening. And if your clients aren't thinking about that kind of stuff already, that might be a conversation that you start having with them and just to talk about some of the logistical changes that might happen. You know, for I brought up that, you know, some of my clients are going to end up having to shift days in order to best accommodate yeah. being able to see things and the impact that that's going to have on other clients. And I'm going to do my best to keep everybody where they're at. But, you know, part of this is not just about the client work, but about the options that are towards us as therapists. That, yes. you know, I have... Uh, in the past, spent five days in, in my offices, a couple of days in one, a few days in the other. I'm still going to try and minimize the number of days that I'm going to work. I mean, I, I will still have work most days, but being able to not have to sit in traffic myself every single day, being able yeah. to have some of the things that allow for my systems of care to end up really taking advantage of the options that I'm going to be able to afford myself as a practice owner. I think the way that I've done that, and I had started doing that, but well before the pandemic, because I, because I had so much of my work that was virtual with consulting and, and the other businesses that I have versus my in, my in-office therapy practice is I really, and, and I think you kind of nod to this with you know, this is when I'm in this office, you can come to that office on that day. I think for me, I've, I've really started defining that these are the, these are the spots. <laughs> and so, you know, if you fit into this time spot, you can, you can meet me at the park. If you fit in this time spot, I'll, I'll, you can either see me virtually or come to my office. I'll be in my office. 
if you need a session outside of that time, it's virtual. And so I've kind of designed my day based on what I want to be doing at what time, not completely oblivious to client needs, obviously, but it's, it's something where you have to kind of set some boundaries. Like this is where I'm going to be. This is what's possible at the time that you're available. And it allows for a lot of flexibility in scheduling. It's just, if someone doesn't want to be virtual, they have to kind of comply with my availability. And so I try to work with folks and that kind of stuff, but there are some folks that just probably will never be able to see me in person because their schedule doesn't align for when I'm at my office or doing outdoor sessions. Have you thought about charging different fees based on this? I know some people are going to be looking at whether or not that they're going to be, you know, they might've been able to get out of an office lease and might be looking at some of the business costs of, I need to go get a new lease or I need to refurnish an office or, you know, and some of the lost time that might be done in between sessions. Is that a consideration that you've had at all here? I kept my office because it was a good rent. Um, it was an expensive mailbox through most of the pandemic, but I did like my office. And so I kept it. So that wasn't a change for me. Like there wasn't a, an overhead cost, but I have thought about it because I've, I've interacted with some folks who do more of a concierge style therapy where they actually go to people and, you know, whether it's, I think Anita Avedian talked about it on her interview. And Megan Costello talked about field-based therapy and, and her interview. So we'll link to those shows in the show notes as well. But for me, I think if there is a above the overhead cost, I think it makes sense to have that be addressed in your fee. And I have thought about, you know, kind of finding a day that I'm like, I'm going to fly up to San Francisco and I'm going to do in-person sessions in San Francisco with clients I have there or whatever. Right. And so obviously those sessions would cost more if I'm coming to your home, if I'm coming to your workplace, like if there's some of these more concierge costs, I think those need to be played in for that. The opposite, I think, feels wrong to charge less for telehealth. And so, <laughs> so I don't know that I would say like, well, if you come into the office, it's going to be more expensive for me because I want to both empower folks to do telehealth, but I also don't want to be in front of a screen all day. Like personally, I was having eye strain and, and migraines and stuff like that. So for me, I value being able to see folks in person and having some moving around and getting out of my house and stuff like that. So I think there's the the actual costs and making sure those are covered in your fee structure. And I think it's like, well, what are you incentivizing? If you charge more for in-person sessions, some people will pay it with no problem. And some will say like, okay, well, I'll stay virtual. And you can decide if that's what you want, I would, I would incentivize it. But I think for me, the way I look at it is I kind of look at an overall overhead cost and make sure that's covered within my overall structure versus charging more for those two different types of services. But that's just kind of my off the top of the head thought. If I'm going to travel to someone or do a longer session or, or those types of things, I think that makes that lends itself very easily to a, a different fee structure. On this note, I will encourage everyone to be aware of their states and local laws, especially when it comes around fees like this, is that you know states like California, where Katie and I both practice, our laws are that we have to have our fees and the basis upon which they're based advertised to clients at the commencement of therapy. 
And so if you are looking at changing fee structures on something like this, make sure that you're very clear and that you have this as something that clients acknowledge generally through writing. So that way you are able to make sure that you're staying in compliance with all of those laws there. You know, one of the things that I want to bring up on you know, crafting these things that are best for us. And, you know, some of this really does tie back to the level of functioning of our clients here. This is, I know many people are considering just remaining entirely virtual. And sure. during the lockdown of the pandemic, many of our clients, it was very easy to convince them like, hey, I just don't have a physical office. I'm not seeing anybody in person. I'm not vaccinated. Yeah. Any of these principles. But as the world moves on, we end up being in this position where we still have a clinical responsibility and along with that, a legal yes. responsibility of ensuring that our clients are suited for the type of treatment that we're able to provide. And I'm looking at roughly a third of my caseload right now that as soon as a couple of logistical things fall into place for me are really strong candidates of needing to be seen in person, that certain things about their environment just are not allowing them to get the greatest benefit out of mental health treatment. And it is something where those of you who are really considering you know, remaining in a virtual space, that you've got good referral networks for those clients who do need to see, be seen in person in order for them to get the best out of their treatment. When we're looking at the clinical criteria, and I'm sure there's many different trainings and things that we can guide people to as far as the appropriateness of telehealth, but in reading the APA article about coming back into the office, there's kind of the reverse, which is kind of the clinical requirements for having someone come into the office. <laughs> like what's, what's worth the risk, so to speak? And you said you've got a third of your caseload. I Mine were more logistical and practical, just folks that weren't able to really get as much. It wasn't unsafe. It wasn't a disservice to them. It was just we were not able to have the depth of sessions that they really would best benefit from. So it was, it was kind of they were having okay therapy instead of good therapy. What are some of the things, the clinical considerations that, that you're seeing that you would suggest I either see your client in person or refer to someone who is seeing clients in person. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Your documentation, especially about your client's progress, is what should guide you almost more than anything else. That the client's desires to be seen in person may be one of many factors that you use in evaluating this, but it's the overall client benefit that, or, or the client's ability to access mental health treatment consistently. I've worked with a number of people who've experienced you know depressive episodes during this pandemic where they have nothing else to go 
out of their house or their apartment for. And so it's very easy for them to just kind of stay stuck where they're at and just kind of roll over in bed to do a session. And that might... (laughs) I laugh because I've totally been there. I've seen that too. (laughs) So some clients, especially in, in evaluating that, like they're not benefiting by not getting out of the house. We look at things like behavioral activation of just the need to get out of the house and go have to be accountable somewhere else is something that will benefit them. So you're saying that clients, if they put on pants and leave their house, they might start getting better. Just they might actually therapy is better. Just the fact that they got up, got dressed, got out of the house. Right. And, And, you know, so some of the evaluative decisions that I'm making with them is, these are the same recommendations that I've been making for months. Put on pants, go for a walk around your neighborhood. And they're not doing it. Yeah. Is and some of the considerations. Uh, uh, another example is a couple of the teens that I work with have major privacy concerns that yeah. they're being overheard. And sometimes I'll hear, you know, caretakers yelling at them in the background for things that they're saying in our session. Those are not the best environments for these kinds of clients. Sure. And so those are some of those clinical considerations of those people aren't getting as much benefit as they would. And that should be very obvious in your documentation about these kinds of sessions that should inform you either I need to see this person in session or I need to make a referral for this person to be seen in person by somebody who is providing in-person sessions. So you've mentioned documentation a lot, and I think this is a, a really good place to to dig in for just a couple of minutes because to me I think having documentation about modality of treatment so in person outside virtual phone you know whatever it is and then also making sure that you're just documenting that you've had a conversation but also making sure that you have a rationale mm-hmm So you're saying those things, how important is a rationale for, I need to see this person in the office right now? Because that was the standard before. And so Mm -hmm. to say like, okay, now I have to have a rationale about why I'm actually going to see them in person feels a little weird. Everything about documentation comes down to a minimizing your risk. I mean, these are the, the standards of care. But let's say, you know, a walk and talk client who is facing a depressive episode, you're going to want to document why you're choosing this particular client. And let's say super worst case scenario is you get in trouble in some way and that your whole practice has to be evaluated, that it might not be just particular a singular client where some of this decision-making process is, but it might be looking at your overall client caseload that says, oh, you are using sound judgment because you are providing rationales for this specific client who needs it versus some of these other ones who don't. And so, I mean, I have clients who are in the greater Los Angeles area, but would never come to me in person because they're not going to drive two hours to get to my office on a weekday at five o'clock and sit through five o'clock traffic to get there. Those people 
who are making progress, the rationale is going to be in the, you know, continuing to document at the beginning of sessions. Saw a client virtually from their house. And and so you're right in pointing out that this is a juxtaposition of where we've been to where we're going. But I think in this meantime, that's going to be the acknowledgement of the real world factors on where clients are. We can't pretend that this is just happening in a vacuum. I'm just thinking that if I were, for some of my clients, the rationale for walk and talk is they thought it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Is that sufficient? (laughs) That they thought it was a cool idea. They would rather walk than sit and stare at a screen with me. And they wanted to get outside. Like, is that sufficient? You're going to definitely want to identify in those kinds of case notes what your evaluative process is for doing it. And it's <laughs> fairly weak. It's just that they thought it was cool, not sufficient? Yeah. Not sufficient there. That you're going to want to look at the overall number of factors because, you know, let's say that that walk and talk client, you know, slips and falls uh, or they aren't wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. They somehow end up, you know, getting coronavirus that, These are all overall factors that you're, as a professional, expected to be able to use as far as your evaluative process and informed consents about some of those risks might be your ultimate legal defense if they decide to sue you, but that doesn't prevent them from suing you in the first place. And so, Uh, and so just because I have a client who's like, yeah, I think it would be cool to see a person because I've been locked in my house for the last 15 months. Okay, go see another person. That doesn't have to be me because you are benefiting from therapy in the way that we've been doing it already. Okay. I think that I've mitigated risk with the consent form and the ability to opt out and all that stuff. But I think I'll, I will I will go back and look at my rationale documentation to make sure I wasn't just like, and we both thought it would be cool to meet outside. <laughs> I, I can't imagine myself actually writing that, but anyway. So there's a lot to consider. I think uh, as we're getting ready to close up, I think the biggest pieces, and and I'll link an article. It's a leadership article, but I think it has some good questions. As we're getting ready to go back into the world, the reentry, so to speak, I think there's some questions that we may want to ask ourselves, both kind of what we talked about here, which is the, what are, you know, what, what are the different options we have? How can we craft our practice to really support all the creative options that we have, as well as create a life that we want to keep living here? And then with a, a with a profession that we want to keep doing. And then also take some time to think about what you learned during the pandemic, because I think for me, that's been what I've been really focusing in on personally is how do I create all of the pieces based on what I learned from the pandemic? And and in this episode, it's been, how do I have a creative practice that serves my clients best and is sustainable and exciting for me? And so that was my my goal. I I think the overall takeaway is a lot of this is putting into good practice things that we've been talking about all along. It's just, you know, now as case numbers drop, as, as vaccination numbers rise, that it affords us the freedom to actually start thinking about it. And our takeaway here is think about it. 
that, you know, think about what the practical steps are for you. Apply all of these things that make you a modern therapist in the first place about what makes the practice a balance for the benefit of our clients as well as for ourselves. It's just that a lot of us are getting an opportunity for the first time, maybe since we started setting up our practice to really have an opportunity to reset and do things in the way that we want to, rather than just feeling constantly pulled in every single direction based on, you know, the way that things always have been. And so that's really the takeaway here is take some deliberate, slow thinking time to craft the practice that you want, given the opportunities that you have, because some of these decisions that you have now may paint you into a corner that two, three, four years from now, you're like, oh, I just wish that I had given myself that creative opportunity when I first started going back to seeing clients in person. Excellent. Our show notes can be found at mpsgpodcast.com. You can let us know how you're moving forward in the world. So over in our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, or let us know on our social media. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm Katie Vernoy. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.